Welcome to the podcast for Green Hill Church. You can find out more information about Green Hill Church and how to take your next step with Jesus online at greenhillchurch.com. Well, this morning, if you have uh, your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 this morning. As we open God's Word, I believe that there's nothing uh, more right for us to do this morning uh, than to, to really just meditate on uh, the story of the birth of Christ uh, and just reflect on uh, some truths and some realities uh, that, that are important for us to know as we consider uh, Christmas this season. Luke chapter 2, uh, I'm going to read it uh, in its entirety, verses 1 through 20. Uh, it's quite a few verses, but, but I, I want us to, to, to wrap our minds around the, the, the reality and the situation of what took place uh, during the birth of Christ. And so uh, as we read this, if you've got your copy, follow along with me. It'll be on the screen. But I want, I want you to try to picture yourself in that place, in that moment when all of this Took place. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord says this In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, they came, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph And the baby lying in a manger, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This was the word of the Lord. Imagine, imagine that moment. Today is Christmas Eve. The night before, the day before we celebrate the birth of our Savior. As we reflect back on this moment in time when Joseph and Mary, they ride into Bethlehem and they 
find a spot and they go and it's time for her to give birth. And so she does. And it's, it's, a, it's a difficult time. It's a difficult reality, the, the, the crowds and the, the, the fact that there's no room for them. And so they find themselves in an area where the, the animals are. And she gives birth and there's shepherds out on the fields and these angels show up and they're declaring this message that behold, there is a savior who has been born and you will find him in swaddling clothes. But I want you to imagine, I want you to picture for yourself just the reality of what's taken place. The stress, the exhaustion of the travel, the feelings, the emotions that Mary's feeling, the roller coaster of emotions that have taken place in her life in these months leading up to this very moment. From the moment that they received news of their illegitimate pregnancy to the reality that their relationship was in jeopardy because of this. All the chaos that ensued around it. I can only imagine the feelings that Mary and Joseph both were feeling for these nine months of carrying this baby. See, the circumstances screamed, everything was out of control. But yet, in the midst of it all, I believe that there was an underlying peace that they carried through it all. A peace that only God can give. A peace that surpasses all understanding. Because deep down they understood that while it all seemed to be out of control, God was in complete control. God had spoken. God had revealed. You see, if you go back to Luke chapter 1 and verse 35, we know that she wasn't just carrying a baby and and she didn't know what was going on. There was a sense in which God revealed very clearly to her what was going on. Luke chapter 1 verse 35, it says, and the angel answered her because she's, she's, okay, what, what, you're you're telling me I'm going to have this baby. Like, what, what do you mean by this? And the angel answers her and says this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. She understood the weight of what was happening. She understood that in the midst of the chaos, God was fully in control. And so in Luke chapter 2 and Luke chapter 1, we have the announcement, the declaration, the heralding of the strangest miracle that has ever been known to man, that somehow, someway, Mary was with child. But she wasn't with just any child. She was with the very Son of God. This morning, as I was wrestling and and just processing and praying through what to preach? What, what do you preach? Jesus was born, right? I mean, like, it, it doesn't get much more simple than that. And then on top of that, I get to do it again tonight and figure out something different to say. <laughs> but but here's, here's the weight of what I want us to understand this morning. Don't let the familiarity of the fact that you know that Jesus came cause you to lose sight of the fact that Jesus came. That literally the Son of God came 
to us. Emmanuel, God with us. He made his dwelling place among man. In theological terms, there's a word that describes this. It's called the incarnation. The word incarnation, it's derived from the Latin where in plus caro, which basically means this, being in flesh. This is this word that means that God himself takes on flesh, that he himself um, emptied himself, as Paul says in Philippians, and became like us. He became flesh and dwelt among Men. In the Nicene Creed, it's stated this way, that Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten before all the ages, and of one substance with the Father, was made flesh through the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, making him truly God and truly human. And this blows our mind, and we don't really uh, have good ways to understand how um, Jesus can be both fully divine and fully God, but yet at the same time fully human. But that's the miracle of Christmas, and that's exactly what he became, and that's exactly what he was, possessing two natures, which are not confused, changed, divided, or separated. This is the incarnation. And so this morning, what I want to do as we've read Luke chapter 2, and as we um, meditate on this reality of the incarnation, that Jesus came, that God took on flesh, I want to I show us three um, truths, uh, remind us of three truths. I, I believe you know these truths, but I want to I bring them before us this morning because I believe they're transformative. The first one is this, that the incarnation reveals God's desire for humanity to know him. The fact that Jesus Christ was born, it reveals um, a characteristic of God. It reveals that God himself longs, and I'm not just going to say humanity because he does long for all of humanity. I want to bring it home this morning. God longs for you to know him. That's what Christmas means. God longs for you to know him. I I want you to picture in your mind or consider in your mind what it would be like Imagine an unknowable God. Imagine a God that existed that was unknowable. There was no way for you to know him. There was no way to know about him. He, he was distant. He was, he was all-powerful, I'm sure, because he would be God, but, but yet you can't know him. Imagine a God like that. Wouldn't that be a little bit frustrating? Let me, let me, let me explain what would happen if that was true of God. Well, Man, in our own wisdom, would then begin to make up things about God. We would confer some realities on God that we would want of him. If he's going to be God, then we would say, well, God must be like this, and he must have this characteristic, and he must do this. And and we would, in our own imaginations, flawed human beings, we would put on God realities about him because we can't know him. So we would try to know him. But isn't it ironic that we live in a culture who does that anyway? God is a God who longs to reveal himself, longs for us to know him, but yet we don't want to believe in the God that is. We want to believe in the God that we want. Why? Because we want to still be God. And so we can't miss this reality that God desires for us, for humanity, for you to know him. And so in doing so, he reveals himself. 
Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, it says this, that the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands, meaning this, that God reveals himself through his creation. All you have to do is go outside and look at the beauty of what he's created, the intricacies of all the detail. And let's just be honest, there are some places that reveal um, more beauty of God than others, right? But But the truth of the matter is all we have to do is look at creation. All we have to do is look at ourselves. We just look at our hands. We look at our faces. We look at the intricacies of the body. We look at the mountains. We look at the oceans. We look at the sunset and the sunrise. And all it does is proclaim the very glory of God so that we see him in it. He is not in creation, but he did create creation. And in that, we see his character. We see his power. We see his might, we see his creativity, we see his care and his concern, we see his provision, we see all of these things in creation. We see in Romans chapter 1 where Paul teaches us that the creation means that no one has an excuse. No one has an excuse, meaning this, that when we look at creation, it declares that there is a true living God. It does. And we can deny it, and we can, we can suppress the truth, as the scripture says, all we want. But the truth of the matter is, is that God reveals himself, and he's done so in creation. Well, if you just go through the Old Testament, starting at creation, all you see is God revealing himself. Adam and Eve, he walks with them in the cool of the garden. God speaks to Noah, and he says, listen, I'm really upset with the rebellion and the sinfulness of man, and so I need you to build a boat. And here's the dimensions, and he was very specific in how he revealed that. And so Noah builds a boat, and God reveals his wrath and his judgment and his justice and his righteousness upon sin in that moment. We see that God sends an angel and speaks to Abraham and gives him a promise. We see that God reveals himself through the burning bush. When Moses uh, finds this burning bush, it's not consuming. It's it's just just on fire, and he walks up, and and God speaks, and he says, you're standing on holy ground. Take off your sandals, and you better bow before me because I'm a holy God. God's revealing himself in that moment. God reveals himself through the plagues as as he comes to rescue his people and he shows Pharaoh and he shows Egypt that he's the true living God that has power over all things. God revealed himself as a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day to lead his people, to guide him, that God guides his people, that he cares for his people, that he leads his people. God reveals himself through the voice of the judges and the prophets and on and on we could go through the Old Testament that God speaks and the prophets say, thus saith the Lord. Here's a word from God. He's revealing himself to people. But then there came a point in time of silence. Utter silence where God is not speaking anymore. His creation is still shouting and proclaiming and the message from the prophets from behind were still proclaiming truth. But there's a sense in which there was no more prophetic voice. There was no more declaration for 400 years. And then, an angel comes to Mary. He says, listen, this is going to freak you out. But you're going to be pregnant. It's not Joseph. It's literally the Son of God. And you're going to carry him. And you're going to give birth to a boy. Because I want to reveal myself to mankind. I want people to know me. 
and understand the implication and the power of what is taking place. You see, all throughout the Old Testament, God chose to reveal himself in these ways and the people could know about God. They could see his power. They could see his works. They could understand his commands and his ways. They could see his justice. They could see his righteousness. They could see his power. They could see all of these things. But for God, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Because knowing God is so much more than information. It's personal. It's close. It's intimate. It's relationship. It's God with us, Emmanuel. And so to reveal himself the way that God wants us to know him, he said, I've got to come to them. I've got to take on flesh. I've got to become incarnate. I've got to be with them. And this is what he's done. And so God says, here's how I will reveal myself. I will come to them. John says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he was with God in the beginning, meaning this, that Jesus is the word and Jesus didn't just begin when he was born, he was for all time. John teaches us that he was there at creation. All things were created by him and through him. Nothing was created that wasn't created through him. And so we understand that Jesus is preexistent. He has always been, he is God himself. And so we see in verse 14 though, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And watch this, we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth, meaning this, God wanted us to know him, and here's what he revealed about himself in that, that he is full of grace and that he is full of truth. Colossians chapter one, Paul teaches us this, for in him all the fullness of God, in who? Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The implication of this is remarkable. Don't miss this. Have you ever wondered what God is like? Have you ever wanted to, to know God? Have you ever wanted to see God? Well, the truth of the matter is this. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. When you see Jesus, you're seeing God. Listen, if you want to know about God's kindness, then look to Jesus with the woman caught in adultery. If you want to see and know about God's power, then look to Jesus on the boat when he tells the waves to be still. If you want to know about God's sovereignty, then look to Jesus with the woman at the well when he tells her everything about her life, the good and the bad. When you want to know about God and his forgiveness, then look to Jesus with the man who was let down through the roof with his friends, and he says, your sins are forgiven. When you want to know about God's love, Look to Jesus on the cross. And if you want to know about God's victory, then look to Jesus walking out of the tomb. In Jesus was the fullness of God. And God wants you to know him. And so he said, I'm going to come and walk before them and I'm going to demonstrate myself so that they can see me and that they can know me. Praise the Lord. Is that not good? We could be done right now, but there's more. <laughs> you see, the incarnation reveals also God's desire for humanity to experience him. I see, church, listen, God doesn't just want you to know him. 
He doesn't want you to just know about him. He wants you literally to experience him. See, it's very different to know about a swimming pool. It's very different to know about water. And it's very different to just dive into it and just be engulfed in it, isn't it? It's much more exhilarating. It's much more exciting. And there's a reality in which there are many who simply know about God. And there's many who know God from a distance. And they, they, they may have a relationship with him, but they're not experiencing the fullness of God in their lives. See, Jesus didn't come to earth just so that you could know about him. He came to earth so that you can experience him. See, if you go back to the Old Testament, God's revelation and his character were clear. His holiness was experienced. Take off your shoes, he tells Moses. You're standing on holy ground. His power was seen. The mountain shook in his presence as God came down upon Mount Sinai. His provision was tasted Every single day when manna came from heaven, his justice was felt when fire rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah. But you see, the manger on that Christmas morning says something much more about our experiencing God. As one writer said, for centuries God had been saying things like, turn away, don't touch me, take off your shoes, the place where you're standing is holy ground, and now he is saying, see me, touch me, know me, and approach me, behold me, experience me. If you go back to Luke chapter 2, look at verse 9. It says in verse 9, it says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I, I think in Old Testament times, we see moments like this, where God reveals himself through angels and different things, and it, 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 it shocks people. Right? I mean, let, let's just be honest. Like, I, I shocked you with my coat a little bit earlier. And, and there was nothing heavenly about that, I promise you. If, if God himself and his glory and, and an angelic being was to show up in this room, I guarantee you we would not sit here normal. We would be on our faces before God Almighty saying, we are an unclean people. And so we see these angels show up, and I can only imagine these shepherds, they're like, ho-hum, it's another night watching sheep. And this bright light appears, and there's a sense in which they're in fear. But listen to what the angels say. They say, fear not. Don't be afraid, because there's some good news that I've got to tell you, that there is a Savior who's going to be born, who's going to make a way where you can no longer touch, and you can no longer see, and you have to hide from God because of your sinfulness, but rather you can approach the throne of God in full confidence because of what I'm about to tell you. He wants us to experience him. And so in verse 10, listen to what the angels say. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that's going to be for all the people. Listen, church, it's not just that God wants some people to experience him. He wants all people to experience him. And so we see this, and we look, um, and look at verse 12. He says, and this will be a sign for you, and you will find him, it says, the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, it's for you. You will find him. Verse 15, notice what he says there. And the angels went away from them, and the shepherds said to one another, let us what go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, 
Verse 16, so they went with haste, and what did they do? They found Mary, and they found Joseph, and they found this baby. And then in verse 17, notice what it says, and when they saw it, they saw it. Notice the experiential reality of what's taking place with these shepherds. It's for them. You will find them. So they see, they go, and they go in haste. Church, don't miss this. The God who would not allow even Moses to look upon his face because it would kill him chose out of his love and his grace and his mercy to take on flesh and be born as a baby boy. So when those shepherds go to that place and they look upon this baby boy's face, they are looking upon the very face of God. God wants you to experience him, to behold him, to look upon his face. You see, God is not just good, but God is love. The differentiating between a good God and a loving God is relationship. Love requires relationship. Love requires experience. Love requires intimacy. It's personal. Paul writes it this way, he says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp, to grab a hold of, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be, what? Filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That sounds experiential to me, doesn't it? It's not something that's simply external. It's not surface. It's not mythological. It's real. It's tangible. It satisfies you as water satisfies a thirsty tongue. But yet this satisfaction does not end. You see, the only way for this to happen is for God not to remain distant in heaven, but to come to earth. And God knew that our hardened and rebellious hearts would never choose him because of our sinfulness. And because God wants you to experience him, he came himself in such a way, in the form of God, a fully man, to be the perfect sacrifice, to pave the way so that you can indeed experience him personally. God's desire is that you experience him. And then finally, the last one is this. The incarnation reveals God's desire for humanity to worship him, to worship him, to worship him. Did you know that you were created and designed as a worshiper? God designed you uniquely and created you uniquely to worship. Now, listen, some of us make a joyful noise. Let's just be honest, all right? And some of us make a really joyful noise. Meaning, like, that's just all it is, is noise. But we were all created to worship. 
And I need you to understand that worship is more than a song, right? Like, like, like we know that. Like worship is more than just the time when Cameron and the team, and praise the Lord for their incredible giftedness. And by the way, isn't it just a beautiful thing that God created people with a voice to be able to, to do this, to lead others that don't have that kind of a voice before the throne of God, right, and see the beauty of it? But worship is so much more than the singing time. Scripture says that worship is our lives. The spiritual act of worship is that we are a living sacrifice before God, meaning this, that God desires and his incarnation reveals that he wants all of us. He wants all of us. See, he created you as a worshiper. Every single one of us in this room and every single one of us on the face of this earth is worshiping something. Something. Maybe multiple things, but we are all worshiping. Notice in verse 13 of Luke chapter 2. The angel had shown up, as one angel, and he tells this good news. And he says that there's a Savior who's coming. He's born. You're going to find him here. He is Christ the Lord. And then in verse 13. And suddenly, meaning instantaneously, meaning just stopped talking about Jesus and the heavenly host from heaven said, we can't take it any longer. We got to show up and we break out into a worship service, if you will, in that moment. Why? Because the news of Jesus' birth is that good. I, like, it's Christmas Eve. Any kids excited about tomorrow? Look, the anticipation. Anybody excited about tomorrow? No? Nah, that's fine. We can just stay here longer if you want. Can you imagine? Listen, listen, listen. Can you imagine the anticipation in heaven the night before? That Christmas Eve? Like, I, I think there's probably a little bit, and I'm, this is my sanctified imagination, all right? This is not in the Bible. I have no idea. I think there's a little bit of some angels saying, like, are you sure this is a good plan? But I think there's some that are grasping the big picture of what God's doing, that he's redeeming a people, that he's setting a people free, that he's saving people from their sins, and this is the way, and it, it's crazy, and it's, it's risky, and there's a sense in which Jesus is going to die. Are you serious? But, but there's a sense in which they're like, no, 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 God is in full control. He's over all things, and he's, man, listen, God is revealing himself to mankind, and they're excited about it, they, the anticipation, and so when the announcement comes, they're like, boom, here we go, and they're saying glory to God in the highest. And notice what they say, verse 13. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Peace, wholeness among those with whom he is pleased. There's a declaration of the praise of God when the reality of God's presence is made manifest. Listen, notice verse 20. The shepherds, they go and they see and they experience all that has been said. And then verse 20, and the shepherds returned, what? Glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard, know, and seen, experienced. The result is worship every single time. 
every single time. Listen, the only appropriate response to the very presence of God is glorifying and praising his name. When we gather corporately, there is no special reality to this building, but there is a special reality about the saints gathered together where there is two or three, there is the very presence of God. So when we gather corporately, we are gathering to worship him. Why? Because we are before the very presence of God. It's the the right and only good response. But let me break this out for a minute. You see, when the glory of God shows up, typically there's two responses. For the one who is hardened by sin in their life, the response is denial, excuses. Coming up with every reason why not to believe in this very presence of God and his power and his glory and his goodness. This is what our lost and dying world has done. Hardened by sin, rejection of God. And there's a lot of excuses, there's a lot of reasons why people come up with why they just don't want to believe this. It's a suppressing of the truth. It leads to anger. And quite honestly, all you have to do is look at the Pharisees and look at how they responded to Jesus when he revealed himself as the Son of God. It's why Jesus went to the cross. Because hardened people rejected him. Now, it was fully God's plan, but it was the hardness of sin in men. So one response is the person who's hardened by sin will respond to denial with excuses. But for the one who is broken by sin, see, there's a difference. Listen, every single person on the face of this planet that experiences the power and the glory and the presence of God is a sinful person. You're either hardened by sin or you're broken by your sin. There's a difference. And the person who is broken by their sin, the response is utter dread until they hear the good news of the gospel, then it's repentance, then it's forgiveness, and then it's worship, and then it's proclamation of what God has just done in their lives. This is the appropriate response. This is the response of the shepherds. They experience, and so they declare the praises of God. See, our problem is that our hearts are easily deceived, and we will turn and worship the created rather than the creator because we're all worshipers. And the only way for people to truly worship God is if God came and gave people new hearts. And the only way for God to give people a new heart was for them to be born again. And for the only way for them to be born again was that Jesus himself was born. And he lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live, dying the death that you and I deserve so that he can birth within us a new life that can know him, that can experience him, and that can worship him, meaning this, can give him our full lives. Listen, if Jesus was simply a marvelous example, then no one would have had a problem with him. If Jesus was simply a miracle worker, then no one would have had a problem with him. If Jesus was simply just a masterful teacher, then no one would have had a problem with him. But yet, 
Jesus was not just any of those things. And he wouldn't have gone to the cross if he was just those things. But no, he was literally the Son of God, incarnate in the flesh. And so he demands our life. And his demanding is not burdensome. For when we give our life to him, we gain life from him. And in gaining life from him, you will find the hope, you will find the love, you will find the joy, and you will find the peace that your heart longs for. It's the only way. It's the only way. Luke chapter 1, verse 32, says this, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Don't miss this. Yes, he came as a baby, but he is still king of kings and his kingdom will not end. And the only way you get to experience life eternal is when you give your life to him. Then you can know him, then you can experience him, and then you can worship him for all of eternity with giving of your life. And you will experience the blessedness of abundant life that comes from him. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? It would be easy for us, because it's Christmas Eve and we've got family plans and festivities and things to go about today, to just quickly move on from this moment. But Jesus came so that you can know him. Can I just ask you a question this morning? This is between you and the Lord. Do you know God. Not about God. Do you know him? Meaning, are you in relationship with him? Has he set you free from your sin? Are you confident that you know that you have a relationship with the Lord? If so, would you just praise him this morning and thank him that he sent Jesus so that you can know him? If you don't, what greater gift to receive on Christmas Eve than the gift of eternal life? Maybe today is the day of salvation for you. Now let me ask you a question. Are, are you experiencing Jesus? Are you experiencing God? Are you walking in the fullness of God? Listen, we, I get it. Our flesh gets in the way all the time, doesn't it? If you're not walking in the fullness of God experiencing him, would you just right now just confess that to the Lord and say, God, I know that there is more. I know that you long for me to experience the fullness of who you are. Would you help me become a person that is experiencing you? Confess sin, repent, turn, and ask him to pour out his blessing on you. And then thirdly, are you worshiping him with your life? Meaning this, have you surrendered at all? Are you walking as a living sacrifice? Turning away from the things of this world and turning fully to him and worshiping him and giving him the glory that he deserves with your life. He longs for it. 
Father, I pray now as we respond in this invitation, God, would you just move? Would you just accomplish what you want to accomplish, Lord? We know that you're so sovereign over all things, and God, we know that you long to save, and Lord, we know that you long to set free, and we know this because you sent Jesus. So God, do it this morning. Do it in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you stand with me as we sing in response? Pastor Casey's down front. I'll be down front. We'll have some others available to pray with you, encourage you. If today's the day of salvation, I encourage you to step out. You come and you grab us and you say, I need to know Jesus. I need salvation. You come as the Lord leads you this morning. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Green Hill Church. For more information about Green Hill Church, go to greenhillchurch.com. Thanks for listening.